We are still in the section on the book of Ephesians about practicing holiness in our personal lives. And when we study holiness and we compare it to us, it should do a couple of things. If you are not a Christian, it should show you that you don't meet the standard that God commands his children to meet. Shows you that God is perfect and that he always does the right thing. And clearly that's not you. And it should drive you to the cross. Where you repent and believe. You kneel before the Lord Jesus Christ. And you receive the forgiveness that you need. And you become a new creation in the Lord Jesus Christ. For the Christian... It helps us to evaluate what we do, how we do, when we do it, and how we think. And while we are not perfectly holy as God is perfectly holy, there should be evidences, there should be fruit in our life that show us that we are habitually practicing these things. But we need to excel still more. We need to do it better. If you look at holiness and you look at your life and you say, man, I, I, just, I just don't care. I'm going to keep doing these gross and wicked things and going off on my own way. Well, you are not a Christian. But if you are a Christian, we must put forth maximum human efforts to follow out these commands. We have been looking at specifically practical illustrations of putting on the new self. In the past couple of lessons, we have talked about how we are to be walking as imitators of God. We imitate a lot of people, even though we don't always acknowledge it. Uh, Your hairstyle or lack of style, uh, your clothes, what you want to drive, what you want to do, the pursuits that you have. A lot of those are we're imitating people of the world. And it's not always a a bad thing necessarily, but it can. But when we were talking about walking as imitators of God, we started out saying imitators of God walk as his children. You have been adopted into God's family. And you are his beloved, special, devoted children. And so you walk in obedience to him, wanting to be like your heavenly father. And then we discussed how we are to be walking in love. Imitators of God walk in love. A love for God and a love for people. In part two of this passage, we saw how imitators of God walk in holiness. Look at verse three. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with all certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Paul lists sins that must not be named among us. These are sins that should not be associated with us. We should not be participating in them. They should not be um, habitually tied to us. And we talked about the, everyone's favorite birthday game, the pin the tail on the donkey. These should not be pinned on us by others. 
immorality. You know what that is. That's the word that we get from the Greek word is porneia, where we get pornography. Unlawful sexual intercourse, anything that God has forbidden from us. Prostitution, unchastity, fornication. The reality is that God has given man the blessing of the sexual relationship within the context of marriage between a man and a woman. And you are to, to wait for those things and his timing and his goodness. And we are not to pursue anything that breaks that law that he has given to us. But also, we looked at the idea of impurity, which is a state of moral corruption. Lying, cheating, stealing. This also is saturated with sexual things and when it comes to uh, impurity. Greed. Greed is the state of desiring to have more than one's due. And is our world not an immoral, impure, greedy world? So that's not us. That's not what we want. That's not what we do. Keeping in mind that do we sin still? Yes. Do we still at times participate in these things? Yes. But we repent and we try to run as far away from them as we can. They must not be named among us. And, and think of that. When you're watching that TV show, when you're listening to that song, when someone wants to tell that dirty joke, set your mind on things above by just saying, this should not be named among me. Christ died for this sin. He redeemed me. No, don't let this be me. But in verse 4, we see sins that do not fit with us. It says, and there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. That verse 4, where it says there must be, you can see in most of your Bibles, it's italicized. Those are English words that have been supplied. Those words are not there in the Greek. But the translators have done it to help us understand better. The main verb is which are not fitting. The things listed here are not fitting. The puzzle pieces don't go together. The round peg doesn't go into the square hole. The fitting means to reach a point of connection. Filthiness should not be connected with us. Filthiness is behavior that shows disdain for social or moral standards. Silly talk, which is foolishness, should not be associated with us. Coarse jesting, which would be, it's not like a court jester. Okay, don't get confused. It's vulgar, obscene, crude, or grating. These things should not be how we get our entertainment. These things should not be how we get our fun and, and how we get our laughs. And we shouldn't be sharing these things and meditating on these things. Our tongue is here to bring glory to God and to edify others. But we all too often use it to cut down and to say gross things. You know, some have argued, and I've mentioned this before, that think of a cuss word. I don't want you to actually think of a cuss word. But isn't that a, 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 it's just a word. It's just letters. So why can I not say this? Well, because society all acknowledges that that's a bad word. Well, okay, so we're going to let society define things? Well, yeah, if they think that's gross, then yes. 
is there not another word you could use instead? Well, I mean, yes. So show self-control. Show purity of mind. These things don't fit with us. Your typical high schooler, if you watch any movies or TV shows, is completely obsessed with sex, watching it on their phone or participating in the actual deed. They are running headlong after alcohol and they have a potty mouth or whatever it might be. And you have to understand a lot of things on TV are, are greatly exaggerated, but that's really true of the unbeliever. That's where their heart is. You think of why people want to go to college and why some people never want to leave college. They are out of the home. Mom and dad are not there anymore. And they're making their own decisions. And what are they doing? They are diving into the deep end of sin and immorality. And for many, there are incredible consequences that will haunt them for the rest of their life because of a decision they made as an 18 through 22-year-old. Christian, we don't need these things. They don't fit with us. We should run from them. But then we see in verse 5 that false imitators are exposed. They're exposed. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Don't be confused. Every good tree bears good fruit. And every bad tree bears bad fruit. And the bad tree will be cut down and thrown into the lake of fire. The immoral, the corrupt, the greedy, the wicked may succeed in this world in the eyes of man. But they are a failure in the eyes of God. And they will meet their maker and they will meet their end and their punishment. If you are wondering about yourself or you're wondering about someone else, guys, if someone is not habitually walking, exhibiting that they are a part of, they submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, then they are not a Christian. The immoral is one who walks in unlawful sexual intercourse, unchastity, etc. It's the same word as used before. The immoral person, the impure person, the greedy person. The idolatry, he throws another one in just to, to be sure here. The one who loves something more than they love God, that person is not saved. And they have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. But we live in the Bible Belt. And there's a church on every corner. And everyone thinks they're what? Everyone thinks they're saved. They think they're saved. They think they're getting in. Even though their, their life is greatly characterized by this stuff. Maybe they, they said a prayer at some point. Or, or maybe they were baptized. Or they went to VBS on a consistent basis. They go to church every once in a while. Their mom and dad are Christians. And so they think they're in the kingdom. They are not. They are excluded. Moving on from walking as imitators of God. Now obviously all of these other illustrations are talking about being an imitation of God as well. But we also should be practically walking as children of light. 
walking as children of light. And if I had like a main title today, it would be walking as children of light part one. And I'm hoping the next lesson is walking as children of light part two, but I'll leave that up to Edwin because he has the other section. When it comes to walking as children of light, let's look at verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And if you're wondering, why did I not connect chapter or verse 6 with verse 5 in your Bible? What do you notice about the number 6? It's bold. A bold. So there's a little bit of a transition point right here. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Oh man, those lesson titles are so creative. They're hard to come up with. For the fruit of light consists in all goodness, in righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. And that's going to be a tough call when we talk about what that looks like and how you do that. It's not just as a Christian that we don't participate. We should be exposing those things. For it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. For it's this reason it says, Awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Well, what does it mean to be a child of light? Help me out here. Why did he choose light? What does it mean? What is it uh, associated with? Silence? No, not silence. Yes. Not hiding from sin. Yeah, what else? Same idea, but light. Yeah, Will. Living in righteousness. Yeah, absolutely. What else you got? Light. Think light. Yes. Truth. Yeah. Guys, the light. Why do we have a light on this morning? So that you can see. So that you can understand. Light, walking in light, is walking in holiness, is walking in truth, is walking in righteousness, walking in darkness. Dark is when all the sneaky bad stuff happens. Why do you think most criminal activity happens at night? It's harder to see. People feel they won't be recognized. When, uh, you know, we were, were kids back in the day, the, the phrase, if you had a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend, was stay in the light. Because some would want to sneak off into the darkness where they thought no one was looking and couldn't see, forgetting that the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Light is good. Light is um, exposed. Darkness is sneaky and bad. And Isaiah 49.6, Isaiah writes, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the end 
of the earth. This is talking about the Messiah. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus came as the light to the nations to show them two things. Their sin and the fact that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. That light in the darkness. I, I want you to go to John 1. There's a couple of places that will flip around in the book of John. And, and you're familiar with John 1, I hope. Talks about the coming of Jesus. Verse 1 is, in the, word, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Talking about Jesus. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Verse 6, there came a man sent from God. We know that his, whose name was John, that's John the Baptist. And he came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. John was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. In one sense, Jesus' coming brought an exposure to everyone to see who he was. I want you to flip over to John 8. And Jesus himself calls himself the light of God. It says John 8, 12. Then Jesus again spoke to them saying, I am. And you're like, oh, heard that before. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of Life. Jesus is being abundantly clear. He's not being vague. The I am, he's saying I am. Remember, I am who I am. That's, that's God. He's saying I am God and I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness but will have the light. In context, when you look at where Jesus is and when he's saying it, it really opens your eyes. John MacArthur writes, The daily water pouring ceremony had its nightly counterpart in a, light, a lamp lighting ceremony. In the very court of the women where Jesus was speaking. So you know the temple has the court of the Gentiles, has the court of the women, and has the, the actual physical temple building itself, those things, okay? It was there where Jesus was speaking. There were four huge candelabra that were lit, pushing light up into the night sky like a searchlight. For us, man, we have lights everywhere. I, I grew up in a, a little town, um, little country town. There were horses next to us and woods and all sorts of stuff. And when we'd lay on the trampoline at night, we could see stars everywhere. You might have heard of this place called South Lake. Um, but then everybody moved because I was here. No, not because I was here. Um, they moved into this area, and you have all of that light pollution, so now you can't see the stars, really. But we used to see them so bright. Well, then, in Jerusalem, you don't have a lamppost on every corner. So there's darkness, there's skies, but these candelabras would have stood out. They were pushing light up into the night sky like a searchlight. So brilliant was their light that one ancient Jewish source declared, there was not a courtyard in Jerusalem that did not reflect their light. They served as a reminder of the pillar by fire 
which God guided Israel in the wilderness. And we know that the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud was actually Jesus himself. The people, even the most dignified leaders, danced exuberantly around the candelabra through the night, holding blazing torches in their hands and singing songs of praise. It was against the backdrop of that ceremony that Jesus made the stunning announcement that he is the true light of the world. Sometimes when we read something, we think, oh, Jesus is off on a boat or he's on the mountainside or he's hanging out with his disciples. He's here in the temple during this, pointing out to them, light, I am the light of the world. Go back to John 3.16, and you're familiar with this. You're like, I don't need to flip there. Well, don't forget the rest of the context of what's happening. This is that conversation with Nicodemus. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged, but he who has not believed has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world. And men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Have you ever tried to teach someone something? You try to teach them, but they look at it and they go, no. And they don't want it. Or, oh, I got, I've, got my, I've got my own way to do this. I don't, I don't need your way. You're trying to help them, but they don't want that help. Jesus came as the light, and he came in, and the cockroaches scattered. And that's us. Why? We love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And this is important for our passage. Because when it talks about let no one deceive you, and we ask this question, why are they trying to deceive them? It's because they hate them, and they hate Jesus, and they hate the light. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifested, having been wrought in God. Light exposes sin. The unbeliever runs from it. The believer runs to it, so then they can say, where am I failing you, God? Grow me, develop me, sanctify me, cleanse me. I don't want to hide from you in your truth. I want to walk in your light so that I can see clearly. So I can see clearly. Children of light are not to be deceived. Darkness is deceptive. Some people have a very difficult time driving at night because it's dark and, and different shadows and things along those lines. Darkness is deceiving, but light is truth. You see, first of all, that there is a command. Let no one deceive you with empty words. Deceive means to mislead. Now, I won't go into the, the whole story about deception and things like that. My, my, my buddy and I, Kirk, were on a camping trip in college, and uh, Kim, I think Kim was on that one, all right? We were on a camping trip with a group called Navigators, and so people are sleeping in tents, and so obviously Kirk and I are in the sleep, uh, are trying to sleep in the back of someone's car because we didn't want to, to get in the tent, and we had this heated discussion about 
deception. And one of his uh, professors at a college was saying that if you are a wide receiver and you fake left and you go right, that you're in sin. Because you deceive them. And I said, Kirk, I'm going to make this easy for you. That guy's a moron. Okay? <laughs> that's, that's, that's not sin. That's not sin. But we, we understand deception. We understand how the world is whispering in our ear, trying to, to lead us astray. Trying to be sneaky and trying to hide things. We understand the serpent in the garden didn't just come out and say, Hey, uh, Eve... Enemy of God here. Um, hate him, hate you. Uh, why don't you eat of this fruit so that I can ruin what God is doing? Oh, man, that, that sounds good to me. No, he was sneaky and deceptive and has not God said, and ooh, are you sure that's true? And just take a little fruit and you'll, you'll be like God. Do not let anyone deceive you. James 1.26, if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. According to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Their philosophy, the, the emptiness. What does that word empty mean? It means pertaining to being devoid of intellectual, moral, or spiritual value. It sounds good on the surface. It, it, it sounds like that's it. You know, there's a lot of social justice and things like that floating around that sound loving. And they sound accepting. But when you really think of it, it is emptiness it is not the word of God don't let anyone deceive you with empty words now how in the world could a Christian be deceived who's deceiving why the need to add this to this letter well don't forget that that Paul is in prison writing to this church and Ephesus is a dirty gross nasty city with, with temples to false gods, and there was the, the prostitution, which is a part of the worship of the false god, and all of this just gross, yucky stuff. And as Christians who are walking in the light, how did the world view them? Well, they hate them. When the Christian talks to them about repentance and faith, they go, oh, quit talking about me, you holy roller, and all the bad stuff I'm doing. So the world wants to trick you they want you, they want to pull you into doing the things that they're doing to feel better about themselves and to say, oh, oh, look, you're a Christian and you're doing that. They want to justify themselves. Satan wants to um, muddy your testimony. He wants to get you distracted on the other Exactly what Satan wants to do. And so his followers, his um, you know, those that are not in Christ, he sends them out to, to tear down and to abuse and to deceive. And if we are not rooted and grounded in the very word of God, what's going to happen to you? You have to read it. You have to know it. You have to study it. You have to prioritize it. Or the things that the world is... Oh, oh yeah, oh, that, mm, that might sound good. Yeah. Mm, that might be it. 
Go back to the word of God. It goes on to say, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. This is the reasoning for the command. Why do I let no one deceive me with empty words? Because those people that do these things, what things? Immorality, impurity, greed, coarse jesting. Oh, it's just a little joke. Oh, it's just a little lie. Oh, it didn't hurt anyone. Oh, this act that I'm doing on this computer screen is just between me and this screen. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Wrath is strong indignation directed at wrongdoing. You must know that when God does something, does he do it half-hearted? Does he do it okay? He created the world by speaking it into existence in six days. And at the end he said, it was good, very good. Gravity, sun, darkness, mountains, Animals, all the creativeness of all of that, it was very good. The same God who perfectly created everything is going to perfectly destroy the sinner. He is going to perfectly execute his wrath upon the unbeliever. Upon the unbeliever. Romans 12, 19, never take your own revenge, beloved. Why? But leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I've told you all before that I used to work in a child, um, a child, you know, kind of reformation facility. And when we would tell the kids like, hey, look, if you don't clean your room, there's going to be consequences. They say, is that a threat? We say, no, it's a promise. All right. It's a promise. It's, it's what's going to happen. It is a promise that God is going to pour out his wrath upon who? Upon the sons of disobedience. So if you are a son of disobedience, it's you. You're not escaping. You're not hiding. You're not running from it. He sees what you are doing. He knows what you are thinking. And he is not pleased. And you may live a a long life on this earth. It's not going to be as happy or as joyful as what it could be. But even if you live a long time on this earth with worldly pleasures, it all ends. Children of light, do not be deceived. Children of light, in verse 7, aren't to be partakers with darkness. Aren't to be partakers with darkness. And we... First of all, here have the command. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. That's pretty cut and dry, right? Well, what does it mean to be a partaker? If you look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, we already talked about this. He says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. Gentile who believes in Jesus, Jew who believes in Jesus, are now one. And they are partakers of the same things. They are connected. They are intertwined. Christian, do not be intertwined. Do not be connected with these sins or with the people that are flaunting these sins in a habitual way. Don't be partakers with them. Don't enjoy the gross that they enjoy. 
I'll get the question at times, how bad does a movie have to be before I don't watch it? Well, there, there are personal decisions to make in those types of things, but think of it the other way. Every word that's said, every, it's exposing me to something. And how, how much am I going to risk just for that entertainment value? You know, a lot of people picture it like a, those, those mountain roadsides. Rocky used to always say that. Right? And we would go on ski trips and we'd be on a bus and we almost died like a thousand times because the roads are very narrow. And it's like, we don't ask ourselves, how close to the edge can I get before my car falls off? Can I just get a little more? No, I, I'm like, let's get all the way to the left lane. I don't care. We might have to hit a few people in oncoming traffic, but I'm not falling off that cliff. Sin, partaking with them, is here. Don't get as close as you can. Get as far away from that as you possibly can. Well, what's the reasoning? For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. The new self. You've died to old self. You're constantly putting off old self. You are new self. That's who you were. That's not you anymore. You are now light in the Lord. We, we studied this in Ephesians 4.18. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the uh, life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. That's what you were, but now you are anew. And you love Jesus, and you love His Word, and you love His people, and you love that which is right and that which is true. So don't be partakers with them. You should look differently than them and act differently than them. Verses 8 through 10, we then see children of light try to please their father. So this is the, actually number 3 in our outline. Children of light try to please their father. When it comes to walking, a walk is a, a habitual pattern of life. This is what you do and who you who you are. Walk in the light. And doesn't that really help? Okay. Is, is this kind of a vague thing? God's word. Who God is. God goodness is light. And I can see that. So I just stay in that light. And everything else is darkness. And I'm, I'm, it's not rocket science. I don't go to the darkness. Okay, there's darkness over there. Okay. I'm going to avoid it. Darkness is an absence of light. So if I'm in the light, I'm in the light. It's not like, oh, I didn't even know I was in the darkness. This is so confusing. It, it's clear. It's black and white. Walk as children of light. But what does that practically look like? Well, we don't have a reasoning here. We have a clarification. He says, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So if you're wondering if something is light or if you're wondering if something is darkness, use this grid. Goodness, righteousness, truth. But what do these, what do these mean? When we talk about goodness, goodness is the positive moral quality. Positive moral quality. It is characterized especially with the interest in the welfare of others. Remember when... Jesus was questioned and they said, good teacher. 
And he said, well, why do you call me good? Only God is good. So they're actually right in calling him, him good. That's, that's a correct thing, okay? God is good. God is infinitely interested in the welfare of others. That's what goodness is. But not only goodness, righteousness. Righteousness is the quality or characteristic of upright behavior. Matthew 5, 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness, for that which is true and good and honorable? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Are you seeking first his righteousness? What about truth? Truth is the quality of being in accord with that which is true. I can't illustrate it any better than John 14, 6, right? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The world tries to do what with truth? Tries to erase it. Let's just take for a moment the, the issue of gender. The issue of gender. Is it very confusing that you're born boy or girl? No. Is it scientific? The chromosomes and all of that stuff. Is that, is that unclear? No. But they'll say they're smart and they're being scientific and you're being bigoted. They just want to erase the standard by which you judge things. So then they can, what, redefine whatever they want to redefine. They take the truth that God has ingrained in her heart and they suppress that truth. Why? So they can do whatever they want. And that's what deception is. A little bit here and a little bit there and a little compromise on this so that we can redefine it and do whatever we want. The, the whole postmodern movement where there is no truth. There is no truth. How do we know what's right? Well, because of God and because of God's word. That's how we know what truth is. The world is wicked and dark because it hates the light. Trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, what is the result of this? If this is you, if you are walking as children of light, then you want to learn. Trying to learn is to make critical examination of something to determine genuineness. To put to the test, to examine. All right, and real quick, I got six minutes left. I want you to wake everybody up. Wake everybody up. Let's focus. We are landing this plane. Trying to learn. Trying to learn. Make critical examination of to determine genuineness. Put to the test. That which is pleasing. That was acceptable. This word is used by Paul. He says, I have received everything in full, and I have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So Paul was in a time of need. Epaphroditus came, sacrificed. Remember, we already looked at that whole fragrant aroma and all that stuff earlier. And what Paul received was well-pleasing to God, and it met Paul's needs. How much time do you spend lately contemplating about what pleases your Lord? Uh, 
Are the choices I'm making pleasing to my Father? Are the things that I'm watching pleasing to my Lord? Are the things that I'm listening to pleasing to my Heavenly Father? Are the things that I'm doing with my friends or not doing, are they pleasing to the Lord? Are you making a careful search and inquiry and examination about what is pleasing to your Father? Christian, this is what we should be doing. This is what we should be doing. Are you living as a child of light? Well, I want you to consider what is a child of light and how do they act? A child of light is the one that has repented and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A child of light is the one who does the deeds of Jesus, who hates the darkness. Is that how you behave? Are you trying to do what is pleasing to the Lord? Are you walking habitually in the patterns that he has called you to? Are you aware that the world is trying to deceive you? So let's say for a moment that you are a Christian and that you are walking with the Lord. And that's awesome, okay? You're reading and growing and praying and fellowshipping and coming and listening and engaging. Awesome. Are you aware that 24-7 the world is trying to trick and deceive you? kind of interesting to this whole pandemic and whatnot we've we've seen disney in a little bit different light haven't we they finally came out into the light and exposed themselves for some of the the weird wacky corrupt things now i'm not saying you can't watch a, a disney show i mean we still watch disney shows but how many more within the past year or two have popped up that have incredible hidden agendas wait they're not really hidden <laughs> But if you track Disney throughout, they're always throwing in little subtle things. Every dad is a moron. Every daughter knows better than her parents. I mean, on and on and on. It just, it just happens. It just comes out. and It's a little more subtle. But now it's like, boom. But that's happening all over the place. The world doesn't want you to succeed, Christian. The world doesn't want you to walk in righteousness. The world doesn't want their evil deeds exposed. So I want you to consider, why is that? John 3, the light came into the world. The world hated him because they love the darkness. They love the darkness. What are those ways? Well, you're going to have to think through that, okay? I think it would be helpful maybe today, maybe sometime this week. I want you to think through the intake that you're getting through social media. You know, unfortunately, I, I know of, of people that have gone down the YouTube rabbit hole and all of the people that have a YouTube channel and they're going to talk about morality and righteousness and did Jesus really exist and all of this stuff. And, you know, maybe you're bored, maybe you're lonely and you just watch clip after clip after clip and it's just going on and on and on. I mean, you have the, the TikTok thing and stuff like that and it's people doing weird dances and stuff. Um, I don't know why you like those, but apparently you do. But there's also so many messages that are coming through. They're coming through. And they're coming through. And we're, we're taking those and we're internalizing those and we're thinking of those. And if you're an unbeliever, you're already darkened in your understanding. Those things are going to further push you away from the truth. But Christian, don't let that deceive you. So what is the, what is the intake that you're getting? Maybe you have some friends that are trying to drag you down. Oh, you don't need to listen to mom and dad. Oh, you don't need to do that. Oh, this is what we should do. Hey, we should go to this party. Why don't you do this party? Be a lot of fun. 
you, I can't answer those. You, you need to think through what are those ways because the world is trying. The world is knocking at the door trying to get into you. How is the world getting access to you and are there any changes that you need to make? Is there anything? Do you need to throw your phone away? Do you need to run away? Do you need to delete apps? Do you need to get some help from a leader, from your parents? Do you need some accountability from your friends? We, believer, washed in the blood of the Lamb, should be walking as children of light. Keeping in mind that we are still going to stumble. We are still going to sin. But when we realize that sin, we turn from it. We run as fast and as hard as we can for the glory of God in the light. In His truth. For some of you, you need to know His truth better. So that you understand the light better. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word, your truth, your love, your goodness, your mercy. Thank you for Jesus, who he did on the cross what we could never accomplish, bringing dark and dying sinners into the kingdom of light. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. Amen.